Well, good morning, Word of Grace. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. It's great to see everyone today. One quick little update. As you heard in the announcement video this morning, we were planning on having baptism in this service. And a little womp womp bummer that we have to talk about real quick is that yesterday there was six guys up here for hours and hours. They were up here till like 10, 11 o'clock. There was a leak in our baptismal when we set it up. And they were up here trying to fix it. They got a patch kit and Unfortunately, and, and I'm so grateful for the heart of these guys to serve our church and so grateful that they came up here and spent a ton of effort and energy and hours trying to make that happen because we were so excited to celebrate with these individuals today their baptism. But we're going to get it fixed real soon, and we're going to get that baptism set up real soon. And if you are uh, someone who is here today to support them, um, we're sorry about that, but we hope that uh, you're still blessed and encouraged today by the rest of the service, and we look forward to celebrating in that way with these individuals very soon. Amen? Amen. Amen. Today we're starting a new series called Remodeling. Uh, My wife and I, we really love to watch some HGTV and some Magnolia Network and all these shows that have all the remodelings that are happening. There's a ton of them now. Like used to, I think it kind of all started with like Extreme Homemaker and Homemakeover And now it has blossomed and exploded into a whole slew of remodel shows. And there are ones that I like more than others. But I got to tell you, there's one that's the cream of the crop. There is one remodel show that rules them all. And hopefully you know it's Fixer Upper, right? (laughs) Chip and Joe are awesome. They're incredible. If you haven't watched Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines, that is the best one. And the reason it's the best is because... Chip is hilarious. But beyond that, it's really a great show. What, what I really love about this show is Chip and Joanna, they'll have a couple who they're trying to help get into their perfect setup or their dream home. And they'll take this couple through several homes. And very, very often, more often than not, the homes they take them through are dilapidated, outdated, gross like dumpster fires of homes. And they'll take them through these homes, and as they're walking through these homes, you can see the look on the face of these buyers slash homeowners who are trying to picture their family in their perfect home, and they're walking through these homes, and their faces are like, uh, really? In fact, there were several episodes, I'm thinking of one in particular, where the, the, one of the homeowners was saying, I'm not sure at all how you see this working out. And they're walking through, and Joanna's like, you know, and we could knock down this wall, and then this could become this, and it would open it up, and the flow would be better, and it would be better functionally. And they're just going, I'm glad you see it, because I don't see it. And what I love about that is that some of you, some of us, are in the same exact boat to where when we are in our home with our family, we're only able to see it for what it is. And those people needed the expert, Chip and Joe, to come along and say, yeah, we see what it is right now. We see this issue, and we see that this is ugly and outdated, and we see that the flow's bad, but let me tell you what we see that you can't see. We see what it can be. And very often in life, many of us get to points in our lives, in our home, in our family, where we're frustrated, we're discouraged, we become hopeless because all we can experience 
or all we can see is what we have been experiencing, and we see our home for what it is and not see it for what it can be. Some of you might even see your home as like a lost cause, like we've tried, we've tried to work together, we've tried to figure this out, we've tried to work it out, but we just don't seem to be able to do so for whatever reason. And you need the professional, and I am in no way saying I'm the professional, I'm saying there's a professional here who wants to show you a better way, wants to show you his design for the home. There's many different ways that you can build a home. There's many different designs. And some of you are like those people, those couples, who are going through a home or looking at your home and just going, I may as well just throw in the towel because this can't be what I was hoping it would be. Or this can't be the picture that I had in mind of what the family is. And honestly, sometimes that's because we put expectations on the family and we have blueprints in our mind of what the family is supposed to be. And it's not in line with what God's design and God's purposes of what the family are. And if we really want our home to be strong, we need to line up with the professional designer to figure out what is the right way, what is the God-honoring way, what's pleasing to him, what's the way that he thinks the family ought to be put together. And you need that expert to come in and show you, not only is it possible, not only is your home redeemable, not only is this remodel possible, but it's affordable. It's been paid for already. Guess what? You don't have it in you to make it happen. But the good news is that God made a way for the family to be reconciled, for the most estranged relationships to be brought back together, the the most extreme estrangement being sinful people from God he reconciled to himself through Christ on the cross, which also means we can be reconciled to one another. Amen? For some of us, we need to evaluate, well, not for some of us, for all of us, we need to evaluate the current condition of our home. And as we look at our home and we evaluate, especially compared to God's plan and God's design, some of us might realize, you know what, we need to, there's one room or one area of our home that needs to be torn down and remodeled. Some of us might be evaluating our family and going, you know what, we need to rip this thing down to the studs. And, but every good designer, every good builder, every good contractor knows that everything you would want to do in a home and everything that you would aspire to do will be absolutely pointless in the long run if you don't first address and make sure you have a strong what? You got it. You guys are experts. Why am I up here? You cannot build a strong, stable, healthy, successful home without first making sure the foundation is good. Because even if you try and tear down to the studs and put up new plaster, put up new walls, rewire things, put in some new plumbing. If the foundation is cracked, eventually it all will fall again. And this is one of the problems that a lot of people have and why they look at their home and they've tried to improve it before. And they've tried to fix these issues before and they've tried to make their family stronger But they get to a place of hopelessness because they don't go to look at the foundation. They just go, this wall looks bad. This room's not functional. Let me fix it. Ta-da, Band-Aid, all right. And everything's hunky-dory for a little while until eventually 
the weight of the home goes back to the foundation that's cracked and the walls start crumbling again. We've got to look at the foundation. There are many different ways to build a home, but as far as the home and the family unit is concerned, God has one way. So let's go to Genesis chapter one. That's right, we're going to the beginning account we've probably heard and read many, many times. But we're going to look at the first account of where God created the family. And we're going to look not only at what he did, but what he dictates and commands that help us understand why he did what he did and why he set it up the way that he set it up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we'll start reading. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Everybody say, be fruitful and multiply. Going on, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air or the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. And I'm going to pause for a moment, because some people get hung up right here. They're, some people stumble over the fact that here's an account of the creation of man, and then we go on. And it talks again about the creation of man. And people have tried to wrestle with that and tried to use that as an argument to say, well, see, the Bible, it's got inconsistencies. It's saying here man and woman were created. And then there's a story over here about man. And that's no different than me saying, look, I made chili one time. And then going on to say, and after I made the chili, I sat down and watched Fixer Upper. Now, let me tell you about the chili I made. When I made the chili, I put beans in it and I put meat and peppers in it. God forbid I did not put macaroni in it. That's when it turns into chili mac. Just saying. Just saying. Amen. I just lost half of you. Like, this is heresy. We can't listen to him. Case in point being, just because I said I made chili last week and then I sat down and watched Fixer Upper, oh, and by the way, here's the way I make chili. That's what's going on here. So don't let the two accounts that are right after each other hang you up. We as modern Westerners struggle with some biblical interpretation principles because we see and understand things differently than ancient Near Easterners did to whom Scripture was originally delivered. So don't let that hang you up. So chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man, notice, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And I'm going to skip a few verses here because it gets into some things that aren't really necessary for our story, but it's basically he's giving some more geographical details about Eden and where the garden is and what kind of things like gold and onyx are in the land. So let's pick up in uh, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden right here to work and keep it. We already read that in Genesis chapter 1, that talking about the taking dominion over the land to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Here's every man's opportunity to say amen. I gave you a chance to earn some points and you blew it, okay? It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while, he, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 24 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. Right here we have the account of creation, the end of the entire creation account, where it culminates in God's most wonderful creation being mankind, man and woman, but notice, it's not only in a, an account of creation of human beings, it is an account of the creation of the family. He says, it's not good for man to be alone, and from the rib, as he calls Adam, causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, he takes the rib and he forms the woman, a helper fit for him. And before we get into semantics of, uh, of going, well, helper, and, and getting into the, the, the debate of woman being lesser, and not equal and not as valuable. 
Let me just say the Hebrew word for helper that is given there for the woman is the same exact Hebrew word that is used for the help that comes from God in Scripture over and over and over in the Old Testament. So before we go, see, women aren't as good. No, that, that, that same word used that, that God helps his people over and over is the same word that was given to the woman to help the man. And so man and woman are different by design, but man's not better than woman by God's design. Amen? So God created the earth. There was a land, a region there called Eden. And then within that land and within that region was the garden. And there are some things that we modern Westerners don't see that ancient Easterners who received the text originally would have seen and understood and known. And that would be the parallels and the symbols that connected this creation of the garden and the tabernacle and the temple that would come. See, when God created man and woman and he created that family, he told them to work and to keep it. Those were the commands that he gave. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the creatures, subdue them and go out into all the world, be fruitful and multiply. And he said, work and keep the garden. The interesting thing here is that the, the two words, work and keep, before I'm getting into like Hebrew school in this whole service, the Hebrew words there for work and keep that were given to Adam and Eve in the garden are the same exact Hebrew words that were given to the priests of the way that they would work and keep or guard the Holy of Holies and the outer courts of the tabernacle. It was the same instruction that was given to the priests that would minister to God in his presence and serve him through all the ceremonial things that were required through the law. And so what, and someone who would have been there with Moses when the law was given, they would have been able to see and draw some connections and go, wait a minute, these commands and even this design of there being an earth and then there being a region of Eden and then there being an internal garden in Eden is a whole lot like the fact that we have a tabernacle that has outer courts and then we have a holy place and then we have a most holy place where the spirit of God dwells. And let me give you some more fun nerdy Hebrew stuff. That the Hebrew phrase that was also used to depict God walking throughout the garden, his presence being in the garden is the same Hebrew phrase that was used for God's presence being in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. There is tons of godly intentional design and symbolism and parallels to the creation account of man and woman in the Garden of Eden and what they were designed to do and accomplish mirrored and paralleled in the design of the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple. And let's go even into eschatology in the end times to the ultimate tabernacle and the heavenly places that exist today where Jesus is our high priest ministering to God on our behalf. See, God gave them the command to be fruitful and multiply. Their responsibility as the people of God, we must first acknowledge that God designed the family ultimately for his purposes. God didn't create the family and just go, all right, um, I made man and woman and um, have fun and figure it out. Just like everything else that God designed, that God created, it has a 
purpose. When God created the sun, it has a purpose. And the moon, it has a purpose. And everything that God made in the entire universe, none of it was just, I'm bored, we'll do this and that. Every single thing that God created has a purpose. And the way that he created and designed the home, the family, has a purpose. See, the first family was created to serve God in his first temple, to be fruitful and multiply, and to show forth the goodness and glory of God in the world. That was the purpose of the first family in that first temple, that first tabernacle, in that first place, the Garden of Eden. There's even more symbolism than this that I could talk to you about. See, just as the temple was the place of God's unique presence experienced by the priests, so Eden was the place where God walked with Adam. The same Hebrew word we talked about there, walking back and forth in the garden, describes God's presence in the tabernacle. Adam is depicted as a priest with respect to his tasks, namely to work and to keep the garden, which is the priest's tasks in the temple. There's many more things. The, the passage of scripture that, I, that we skipped there, it talks about how there's gold and onyx in the land. And then you can go fast forward to where God gives instructions for the building of the tabernacle and then instructions for even what the priests would wear. And you'll see many times gold and onyx are mentioned. Just as the climax and purpose of creation was rest, how God rested at the climax, so construction of the tabernacle consult, or, or culminates with rest. Picture after picture, all of these things intricately designed by the infinitely wise God that we're just reading Genesis and we're going, oh, that's interesting, and not even realizing the intentional connections that God is drawing to try and help us see the design of God was that man would be priests to minister to God and serve God, and then from that also show forth his glory into the world, being fruitful and multiplying, expanding God's influence, expanding God's kingdom, and going out into all the world and showing his goodness and showing his glory to all the earth. The foundation, if you want your walls to stand, if you want the efforts that you put into other areas to last, we must acknowledge the foundation of the family is to serve God and show forth his glory into the world. Why did God create the family and why does your family exist? To serve God and to show forth his glory into the world. In the Old Testament, we see here in Eden that this was the original first picture of the tabernacle. Then came the mobile tabernacle, the tent in the desert. Then came the temple. And now we have the ultimate tabernacle in the heavenlies. But beyond that, also, uh, the apostles of the New Testament say that our body is now the temple wherein the presence and spirit of God dwells. The foundation, this foundation of the home, is God's design to serve God and show forth his glory in the world. This is an assignment worthy of all our energy and worthy of all our devotion. The call to be priests on behalf of God, whereby we serve him according to his decrees and whereby we show forth his glory into the world is worthy 
of all devotion, worthy of anything more we would endeavor to do, worthy of anything more than we could hope for and aspire to accomplish and achieve with our lives, more than hoping that our kids become pro athletes or become CEOs or become the president of the United States, more than anything we could hope for our family, we should dump all of our energy, all of our focus, all of our invested time and work and labor into serving God and showing forth his glory into the world. That's the foundation. And if there's faults, if there's cracks in that foundation, you have committed yourself to a life of frustration in a home that cannot stand. And you will go from Band-Aid to Band-Aid to Band-Aid to Band-Aid trying to make your home what you hope it is and you're placing false expectations on what your home can be and what your home can do because it's not on the foundation. See, when the primary goal of your family is to serve God and to show forth his glory, it overflows into the habits of your home. If this is the primary goal, if all your efforts and energy are to serve God and show forth his glory, it starts in the habits of your home. The habits of your home. If this is an afterthought for you, then we'll see if we have time for it. We'll see if the kids' practices don't get in the way. We'll see if the favorite show is not on tonight. We'll see if I don't have enough meetings that are going to pull me away from prioritizing that. When you go back to the foundation and God's creation, we need to prioritize this. It overflows into the habits in our home. It overflows into what we permit in our home. Listen, only certain things were permitted, and honestly, it was perfection. <laughs> Thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. But only certain people in certain conditions were permitted into different levels into the tabernacle. And so we need to really look at and evaluate what am I permitting in my family? What am I permitting in my home? Because if the primary function of my family is not my entertainment, not my acclaim, not my achievement, not my American dream, not my hopes and aspirations, but to serve God and show forth his glory into the world, then it overflows into what I permit into my home. It overflows into what I permit in my behavior outside of the home because I am to be fruitful and multiply and show forth God's glory out into the world. And so that I'm going, that's going to be something that I keep in mind and bear in mind when I'm out in the community, when I'm at work, when I'm at my kids' practices, when I'm at my friend's home, when I'm at my family, when I'm out uh, at restaurants or out shopping, I'm mindful of the fact that I am to serve God at all times, show forth his glory into the world, and therefore I'm going to place some restrictions on myself, even though there may th be things that might be okay and I might be allowed to do. The fact that I am an ambassador and representative, a priest on behalf of God into this world, it's going to cause me to go, what am I going to permit in my behavior? Because I am an ambassador of God. And I want to show forth his glory in the world. It overflows into my view of church. Is church just that checkmark thing that we do once a week? Or is church the family whereby we are devoted to one another throughout the week, seven days a week, that we are a church family who serves one another and prays for one another, encourages one another, holds one another accountable? If the primary purpose of my family is to serve God, 
and to show forth his glory into the world, then there are implications from the rest of Scripture on what that looks like in the way that I perceive and participate in church. Parents, for your family, let me just give you one little fun tidbit. There is a 0.0296% chance that your child will be a pro athlete. And some of you are like, like Lloyd, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> I read you. Sure, yes, there is a chance. There are pro athletes. I just want to make sure you know that there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will be a pro athlete. And there is a very similar, I forget the number, very similar statistic that your child will become some famous celebrity, there is a 100% chance that your child will stand before God. If you believe the word of God, there's a 100% chance that your child will stand before God. I am in no way against sports. and all, I love sports. I was in sports, and I thank God for it. I think it's valuable. I think it's great for a child's upbringing and community and learning teamwork and all that. Do not misinterpret me. I am for it. I think it's great. I think it's good. I think it should not trump the responsibility and the priority of serving God and showing forth his glory into the world. I, I hope my daughters are highly involved in sports. I'm not going to force them to. I'm going to make them at least try. But if my, my daughters are in sports, there will be lines that I will draw if sports gets in the way of serving God and showing forth his glory into the world. And sports or theater or music or whatever your kids might be into, those are good, gracious gifts from God. And we could use them evangelistically, and we can build community and outreach to others, and God can use us in those environments to show forth his glory and to evangelize and to build relationships with people that don't know him so we can try and bring them to him as ambassadors of Christ. But don't also trick yourself into, into thinking that you're doing it just for that in a way that does hinder you serving God and showing forth his purposes in the world. In Scripture, it's pretty clear to see that we need each other as the body of Christ, and God cares that we gather together. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together and many other Scriptures like that, where we need each other. The body of Christ was devoted to one another. And so don't let those things get in the way, those good and gracious gifts from God that can be wonderful in our children's lives. But let's put our hopes, our, our aspirations, and our expectations and our plans of what those things are in our children's lives Let's keep them in proper context. And let's make sure there is nothing that I care about more in my daughter's lives than that they could come to repentance and saving faith in Christ. There's nothing more important to me as a father. Nothing more important to me. And if there are good opportunities of things to be involved in and participate in in the future that I can see would become an obstacle to that, they're done, they're gone, they're out. And that'll be a fun thing to navigate. <laughs> See, many of our issues in the home come from the fact that we have misplaced hopes and misplaced expectations on what the family is and what its purpose is. Many of us, our view, our hopes, our expectations of what the family is and what it can be for us 
is a fulfillment of our American dream. That I got married and I have kids so that I can be complete and I can be filled and fulfilled in the fact that I have my, my perfect home and my white picket fence and Lassie running around barking and playing with the neighbors and throwing the ball in the yard. All good things. All good and gracious gifts from God. But they are gifts from God that ought to point us to God and they are not to be the answer of God. You know, sometimes, not sometimes, very often, almost every time that Katie and I are watching these remodel homes, these remodel shows, and we see these homes, and we'll be sitting in our home, which is so, we're so blessed, the home that we have. But when we watch these shows, we'll start getting discontent with the home that we have, and we'll start going, oh man, if only we had bigger or nicer or different, and if we had a little bit more of this, and if we didn't have this situation. And I have to preach to myself in those moments when I realize that's happening, I have to go, wait, you know what? My home is enough because Christ is sufficient. My cars are enough because Christ is sufficient. My career is enough because Christ is sufficient. My wardrobe is enough because Christ is sufficient. All those different things that we invest hope into being the things that would fulfill us and answer. Listen, even, I, I, I even hesitate and get nervous sometimes about doing series like this. Because people come to church and they go, all right, they're going to fix my family and then everything's going to be great. And, and, and the goal becomes having a good home life and having a happy-go-lucky American dream family rather than living God's will, God's way, according to God's word and fulfilling his purposes, which brings the ultimate eternal fulfillment. And we will look to our family to be what only Christ can be. I have two daughters, and man, I have seen in my daughters how easy it is for me to try and let my daughters be what brings me joy and fulfillment, and they do bring me joy, and they bring me so much joy. I, have, I can look at my wife, and I can place on her an expectation to be what only Christ can be. We can look at our homes, our possessions, and place on them an expectation to be in our hearts what only Christ can be. And as long as you are expecting your home, your wife, your kids, your possessions to be what only Christ can be, you're taking all of those things and you're sucking on a pacifier. Or you're going, until you go and you're like, oh man, yes, there's that feeling. Mm-hmm. Until after a little bit, you realize, wait, I'm not getting any substance. There's no milk coming through here. I want the milk. So make sure as we look at our family and evaluate our family that we're not going to just try and fix our family so that we can be happy again, but that we would place our ultimate hope for fulfillment and satisfaction in Christ. Amen? Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, bearing in mind everything we read from Genesis 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, this is right after the Apostle Peter has told the church he's called them into holiness. He's telling them, this is right after he says, guys, let's be holy, let's be different than the world. He goes on to say in verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord 
is good. Not that our possessions, our dreams, our aspirations, our hopes, but tasted that the Lord is good. He goes on in verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected, talking about Jesus, as you come to him, who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We talked about how Adam and Eve were designed to be priests in that temple of Eden. We now are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter's quoting Isaiah here, and he's talking about Jesus Christ, that cornerstone. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may, check this out, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He's telling us right here, you are not of this world. This is not your home. That foundation of serving God and showing forth his glory into the world, he's talking about proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Therefore, you're sojourners, you're exiles. This is not your home. You are here as priests representing him, being fruitful and multiplying the kingdom of God into the earth to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Are you seeing this? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How much can we see there? This is not our home. We are priests, we are sojourners, we are exiles who are here for a time. We are ultimately citizens of heaven. You want to know how to live faithfully in this world? I hate when I hear people say, now don't be so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. You cannot be earthly good unto eternity if you're not spiritually minded. If you want to make a difference in this world, which is why you were put here to be fruitful and multiply and expand God's kingdom into the world, you need to be mindful of the things of God. Set your sights on the realities of heaven is what Colossians tells us, where Christ is seated at the right hand. This living to honor God, to serve God, and to show forth his glory into the world, uh, it ripples out and overflows into every area of our lives. It's not just a Sunday thing. 
And it's not just something we do out and about too. It comes down into the core of our family that God designed and God created that we could represent him, serve him, give him glory. And one of the ways that Peter goes on to say this is being mindful of the way that we live and abstaining from sin and the desires of our flesh. The gospel comes into our broken homes and calls us back to God's word, to learn God's will, and to live God's way. That's our bottom line this week, that the gospel comes into our broken homes and calls us back to God's word, to learn God's will, and to live God's way. If we're trying to build walls of happy family, and if we're trying to reconcile relationships, we're just putting up band-aids and quick fixes that are going to break again if we're not focusing on the foundation of why the family was created and then that chief cornerstone that was just cited in 1 Peter, the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ, who is an offense and a stumbling block to those who don't believe because they don't want someone telling them, hey, you're a sinner who needs repentance and you need to come to faith in Christ. It's a stumbling block to our pride. Jesus is that cornerstone whom the ancient home was built around. The gospel comes in like a demo day. If you've watched Fixer Upper, you've seen they make their plans, they evaluate the problems, they draw up their blueprints and their plans, and then Chip comes in and he has demo day where he's kicking through walls and ripping out cabinets and all that stuff that makes me go, oh, yeah. Going, what's here is no longer good. I need to tear it down. And this is where we all evaluate our home and go, what in my home needs a demo day? What in my family needs a demo day? What area of my family does not serve God or show forth his glory into the world? What area of my family, and it can even be good things that it might be, you know what, we need to remodel this room. It might be we need to tear it down to the studs because it was built on something other than Christ and God's purposes for the family from the beginning. Some of us need to go home and we need to pray and have conversations with our spouses. And before, I, before any of you who are not married, you're sitting here going, oh man, I wish this would resonate with me. You can be working on the foundation now of Christ and going, doing things now that will set you up for when you have that spouse and you begin building a home together. The gospel comes in like a demo day, knocking down every faulty wall of sinful habits, stripping out every faulty wiring of worldly thinking, fixing every leak of bitterness and jealousy and envy and unforgiveness that rots our lives. The gospel comes in and is even capable of demolishing a faulty foundation Sometimes they got to bust up the foundation, report. It's even capable of fixing that faulty foundation of the American dream where we live for ourselves, our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions, and pours once again a solid foundation of living to serve God, his purposes for our lives, his plans for the family, his mission, and call upon us to be his ambassadors 
and priests in this world that we would live to show forth his glory. That when people see us, they would go, there's something different about that person. What is it? And it's the holiness that we're called into and the presence of God that we carry, that we bear with us as we go out into the world, showing forth his glory, that people would be drawn to what we have and that by that we would be fruitful and multiply, making more and more sons and daughters of God as we expand his kingdom, being fruitful and multiplying, working and keeping. Amen. God, I thank you. Thank you that you didn't just make us and put us here and say, figure it out. God, I thank you that your word has revealed to us your plan, has revealed to us your design. And when we have come to the table with our own thoughts, our own designs, our own plans, we can just acknowledge that you are infinitely wise. Not only are you infinitely wise, but God, you designed and created everything, including humanity, including the family, including our marriages, including our parental role. You designed them for a purpose, ultimately unto your glory. God, I ask for every family represented in this building, every family represented watching online, every future family represented that has not yet been formed, but you formed in your plans. God, I ask that if there are things in our lives, if there are rooms or areas or walls or situations or circumstances in our homes that are not designed on the foundation or not built up on the foundation of serving you and showing forth your glory, that aren't on the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ, centered around him, God, I ask that you would help us tear those things down, to have a spiritual demo day, to have intentional conversations, to sit down with our husbands, our wives, our family, and say, you know what, guys? We want to honor God. We want to glorify God. I ask God that you would give the grace for families to have those conversations to demo and then rebuild and remodel on a strong foundation that all of our families in Word of Grace could be families that are healthy and strong, living to serve you and glorify you in all that we do as citizens of heaven, looking unto our eternal answer, looking unto our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Amen.